Well, amen to that. Good singing, church. Appreciate that. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're still in 1 Timothy chapter 3, working our way through this book. Uh, thus far, it has been a challenge. It has been exciting for me to be able to share these truths from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus and also, uh, by extension, to the church at Heritage. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll read two verses and uh, really just get through, three verses, really get through just uh, two of those today. We'll save the uh, verse uh, 16 until next week, the Lord willing. 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 14. Paul says, I, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Father, I am so glad that we can come today to worship you, the, the living God. We don't worship gods that are false or that are dead. There is only one. and You are that one God, the living God. Thank you that you've called us together as the church of Jesus Christ here at Heritage. Thank you that the words that you spoke long ago through the Apostle Paul to Timothy and then to the church at Ephesus are for us today. So I pray that we would hear these words and I pray that we would respond to these words and come away with a greater love and appreciation for and a commitment to your bride, the church. Thank you for that. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been interesting over the last couple of years. I don't think it started then, but it's become more prominent perhaps in the last, oh, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years that there have been some Christian, I'll use this word loosely, experts, some Christian leaders who have said that it is cool to love Jesus, but not so much his local church. For one reason or another, maybe it's because in their mind the church has failed them, or maybe Maybe just maybe it's because they see the church as boring and irrelevant. And I have to ask myself, is it even possible to really, really love Jesus and to not love His bride, the church? Just imagine for a minute that you walk up to a friend of yours, and you say, you're awesome, but I really hate your wife. 
She's boring and irrelevant to me. And I thought to myself, who would be so foolish to do such a thing? Now, folks, the dominant theme in this book, in 1 Timothy, is the local church. Paul cared deeply for the church. I'm going to show you some scriptures here. We, we try to do this as we walk through and we make certain comments. We try to go back and say, is this true? Is this what scripture tells us? So here is an earlier time. Paul had already been used to establish the church at Ephesus. And now on a return in his third missionary journey, he gathers not in Ephesus, but Miletus, he stops there. He calls for the elders of the church, and he says some things. And this is indicative of the heart of Paul for the local church, for the church at Ephesus specifically. And again, I prayed this, by extension for Heritage Baptist Church. You yourselves know how I lived among you from the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord in all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now watch this, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. And again, he comes a little bit later and says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I think it's safe to say that Paul took Jesus' words to heart. And when Jesus said, I'm going to build something, there are a lot of leaders who say, I'm going to build something. I'm going to build something great. There was one thing that Jesus said, I will build. And he said this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me say it. I said it a few moments ago about Paul. Paul loved the church. Do you know why? Because Jesus loves his church. You've got to remember this was based on Peter's confession that Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the anointed one, you're the son of the living God. And so Paul, right here in this little passage, we've already walked all the way through chapter 1, chapter 2, where we got through some, some very detailed portions of Scripture about the roles of men and women in creation, the roles of men and women in the life of the local church. And then Paul stops and says this. Now He's wanting to come and, and be face-to-face. -face. That's always the best thing to do. Better than sending an email, better than a phone call. And he says, I really want to come to you, but in case I don't, I want you to know something that's very, very important. Here is how every believer from the youngest to the older, I won't say the oldest, Ed, but the older. Here's how you need to behave or conduct yourself in the church of the living God. So, let me just go through this, a couple of verses, but they are very, very important. First point is this. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing. I am writing these words to you. Listen, how many times do we have to say it 
But we'll say it again, the written Word of God tells you and me everything we need to know for life and for godliness. We're reminded in another place to another church, a local church, Paul wrote these words. And there may be some of you who still doubt that the things written in former times are really for us, and the fact is they are. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Now, he's talking about then, 2,000 years ago, looking back to the Old Testament writings, but we're looking back to the writings 2,000 years ago. And they are written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So what is your hope? What is our hope as the church here at Heritage? I'm talking about the local church, and I'm going to hammer on that. I'll give you a hint. We're not just talking about the church universal. That's usually what, what is meant by when people are thinking the church, the church. But, but here's what Paul was thinking, the local church, the local church right here at Heritage. We have to know this. Our hope is in what he has given us. This word tells us that his divine power and his, has granted to us everything that we need for life and for godliness. It's all in his word. And I've discovered in my life, I, I hope you have, that there is a knowing. We know the words. We, we can intellectualize the word. But there is a knowing that transcends the intellectual understanding of the words written on the page. And I know this, and those of you who are older, and maybe some of you who are younger, you're, you're getting this. It's not just words that are here, again, written on a page. It is that, that understanding that goes beyond just the intellectual come to church, you go to ABF, or you go to Sunday school and you hear the Word, you come on Wednesday night, and for you children, and then we've got some adult studies, and you hear the Word. And then I hope, I, I truly hope and pray that you are reading the Word, that you're reading the Word consistently. We have Bible plans that will help you whether you're on the extended two-year version or the one-year version. We have plans that will help you to take the Word in. But all of you know as well as, as I do that if this Word is not permeating and getting into our hearts, again, from the youngest to the oldest, it will not ultimately do any good. I, by the way, this is a plug for Bible reading. I'm going through the one-year plan. I've done that for several years now. And, and it's, it's always amazing. You go through and, and you go through Genesis, and boy, it's, it's really all those stories. It's really interesting. And then you get Exodus, and it continues to be with all of the stories pretty in interesting. And then you get into those books Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and all of a sudden you kind of open. I, I'm telling you, do you guys discover that when you're reading consistently, that somehow something that you hear maybe on the radio, 
Maybe it, you, you come to church and you talk about it in your ABF or you, you, you talk about it, we talk about it in here, and all of a sudden something you've read, God has taken and he has just planted it there and it's become, it's become real. That happened last week. I, I was preparing and then one morning I was reading in Deuteronomy 11 and it just hit me. I always re, uh, read the Bible with a little notebook here. Scribble things down. See if they'll fit anywhere. And if they don't, I just wad it up, throw it away. It's been a good thought. But I was so stunned by this. And the, the theme that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, that everything, leadership, everything we do, always starts in the home. We can't get away from it. And I couldn't get away from it when I was reading out of Deuteronomy 11. You shall therefore, look at this, lay up. Students, lay up God's Word. Young adults, lay up God's Word in your heart and in your soul. Do you see that permeating that he's talking about? Even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, and you shall bind them. Look at the, the different ways that it should be a part of your, your existence as a family. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. Now, they actually made a little box to wear on their hand and box to wear on their forehand. You don't, you don't even have to take a magic marker and tattoo the words on your hand, but you shall bind them as a sign on your hand so that it's, it's there, it's ready to be taken up. And they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Go on. You shall teach them to your children. You got to have them ready. You got to have the words ready. That's why I cannot emphasize enough the daily reading of the word. So that you can teach them to your children, talking of them when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. There should be no occasion where you shouldn't be thinking about how can I inject what I've been taking in from the Word or maybe from the sermon last week or maybe from the Sunday school ABF lesson. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. They should be a part of everything that we do. Why? So that God can be great, not only in your home, but also in the household of God. That's what Paul says right here in verse 15. In case I delay, you may know how one ought to behave. And I love the terminology here. We're going to look at this for just a second, how this relates. The household of God. Anybody remember? Uh, now, those of you who are older, I know you learned this when you were a kid. Did you guys learn this little thing? This, this means yes, this means... Okay. Okay. Here's the church, right? Oh, we've got some. Okay. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door and see all the people who came today. One, two, three, four, five people. Okay. Well, what's wrong with that? We have been so inundated with that kind of thing from the for a lot of us, from the time we were children, we've been it hammered, hammered over and over. And so many times people struggle 
People in this church will struggle to get over that. Here's the church mentality being the building. But we know that this was not the case. You know why? Because there were no church buildings at the time when Paul wrote this. They were meeting in somebody's house, in somebody else's house. And it was a family. Now, look at that word, the household of God, right there in verse 15. It is the exact same word. I drew lines in my Bible. I went up to verse 4 where it says the household of God. Here's one of the qualifications for an elder. He must know how to manage his own family. Hold on here. He's not just talking about a universal invisible family. He's talking about his own family so that he can know how to manage the what? The household of God. It's not some... An elder, listen, the elders and deacons can't lead and serve the invisible church. And that's why Paul, I believe, used the exact same word. He's talking about the local church. And the first picture he gives us in terms of using the word household, it is a family. He says it as he wrote the letter to the church at Ephesus in another place. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens. That's what you were before you were saved. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the what? Household of God. In Him you're also being built together into, now look at this, a dwelling place for the Spirit. Local church gathered here this morning. We're not a business. We do business things, okay? We do have a business side, but we are not a business. We are not a club. This is not Rotary. Rotary, if you miss a week, they, you have to attend somewhere else so that you don't even have to do that in the church, but this, this is more important than a club. This is more important than a building. This, this is more important than a social network where you come for business purposes or you come to meet people or relationships or things like this. We, listen, here's what Paul is saying, and this is stunning if we really get it. We are a household, a people in whom God dwells. God doesn't live in a building anymore. Okay? And we view God as being in heaven. But again, the the Apostle Paul, who studied, who knew these things, who got these things from divine revelation, and he would say these words to another church, but they're true of all of the local, now listen, local church us right here this morning as we assemble together, do you not know that you, and that's plural, y'all, are God's temple and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The 
That's one reason that we don't pray, oh God, come and meet with us. As you came in here, you might not have had this realization, and we assembled and we started worshiping together and singing songs. God is here. We are His dwelling place, and I promise you, if we could get that, if that could get us, it would change radically the worship of so many people who meet in local churches, just like at the beginning, telling a guy, hey, I I think you're awesome, I think you're great, I think your wife's boring and irrelevant. God is here. And by the way, I may be boring. The good thing about it is I know I'm not irrelevant. Well, maybe the words I say could be, but I'm giving you enough of this book, and this book can never be irrelevant. Again, I'm just stunned by that. God's here. He's here because we are gathered together. Now, again, this can, I showed you a few minutes ago, this can only refer to local church. This is not talking about the church out there, the universal, invisible church. We know that we are a part of something bigger, but Paul is talking about the household, the family of God, assembling week by week. And he said in the book of Acts, daily where the small groups meet. And he is there. So, here's his whole point. We're here. This is the church. Now, we know that there are some members of the church that are not there, not here. They should be. Really, are you a part of the body of Christ? Well, you should be a part of the the local assembly of believers. Unless you're providentially hindered. I get that. I get that. And there are some who are. But people who love Jesus ought to love the church as much as Paul did and for sure as much as Jesus did. And so he goes on. And here's what, here's what the thrust of the message is about. We've already established the local church, but here's what he is saying. He is writing so that you, y'all, me, everyone here, and those who are not here, providentially hindered, some listening, but so that we can know how we are to behave in the church, conduct ourselves. That's what he's writing about. There is an oughtness. Get it? Now we're not we're not works oriented, justified by grace through faith. We know that, but out of that justification grows an oughtness in the Christian life. And Paul is saying, look. I've just given you a lot of stuff about leadership and about men and women and their roles in the church. And Satan wants to mess that up. He wants to make that controversial. There's no controversy to what Paul is writing right here. But then he goes on and he spreads it out and he says, everyone from over here to over here, there is an oughtness to how we are to behave in the church of Jesus Christ. That word ought... How we're to behave, it's the same word used of the oughtness of the qualifications of the elder and the deacon. An overseer must be. 
A deacon must be. You in the church gathered, the local assembly must be. And he goes on to talk about that. Here's one of the things he says. He says that if you are in the local church, 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 and 2, and I just pulled a couple of these things. This is not exhaustive, but this is a good starting place, I figured. How are we to behave? Well, he tells us. All right, are you ready? How many of you fit the category of, uh, of an older man? I'm going to raise my hand. Okay, here's how you're to relate to an older man. Don't rebuke. Encourage as you would a father. How many of you are young men? I'll hold my hand up to that one too. No, I'm not a young man. Okay, here's how the church is supposed to relate to you. Younger men as brothers. Older women, let me see you. Oh, come on. Every one of us, you kids, adults, young people, you're to relate to older women as you would a mother, a beloved mother, not, not the way sometimes you treat your mother, but as you ought, ought, ought to treat your mother. Now watch this. Do you know that if, if we took this to heart, the church of the living God, we're going to get to that, that's pretty cool, the living God. And he's with us today. And if we took to heart what he says about how we're to behave in the church of Jesus Christ, and every man in this church treated younger women. Got any younger women here? Not, not sure? Okay. Treat them as sisters. Watch this. In purity. If we let the word of Christ dwell richly in us and the Holy Spirit is motivating that, and I'm glad, by the way, we're doing a seminar for our students. David Holmes is leading that on Wednesday nights. But this is the foundation of it. If, we, if you do not have this as the foundation, how we are to behave in the household of God, all of the instruction about purity will not really do you any good. It has to start in the heart. And that's, that's the behavior part of this. Let's go on. Titus chapter 2. Oh, well, there's some more about older men. Okay, older men, you saw how we're supposed to be treated, but it, it, it might be good if you act a certain way. Sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Pretty good. Let's, let's do one more and then we'll move on. Older women, likewise, might help if you behave. Paul said, I'm writing this to you so that you'll know how to act, behave, conduct yourselves in the household of God. To be reverent in behavior, not slanderous, not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, to train the young women, to love their husbands and children, to be, this is what you're to train the young women to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands that the word of God might not be reviled. One last one. 
likewise urged the younger men, younger men, self-control. So in other words, it's just the basics of the Christian life. It's respect, it's honor, it's love, it's purity. And and in other words, here's here's what Paul is saying. Make other Christians your priority. Starting starting with your family, husbands and wives, and then flowing out in those concentric circles of family and then the church, make other Christians your priority. So then, as we have an opportunity, Paul says in Galatians and then bringing in Romans, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Same word. We, we could plug in Heritage Baptist Church, especially to those who are in Heritage Baptist Church. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Is that always easy to do? We start in that smallest, you know, the, the husband and wife. Is it always easy to do that? I'm looking out and seeing if I see a little bit of this. Listen, there are plenty of EGR people in the church. You know what an EGR person is, don't you? EGR, extra grace required. Okay. Do you have any extra EGR people in your life? In your fa- don't raise your hand. In your family? In your marriage? Okay. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you can't think, I stole this from somebody, but I thought it's a great line. If you can't think of anybody who's an EGR person in your life, the probability is that you're the EGR person in someone else's life. Third point, the greatness of the church. Wow. I, look at how Paul is doing this. We are the church of the living God. He could have just said, the, he could have just said we're the church of God. We're the church of the living God. And I'll tell you, he speaks later, great is the mystery of godliness that the the, the local church embodies. In God's plan, the local church is not an afterthought. The manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known to the cosmos through Heritage Baptist Church, if we will see and understand that that is what God wants of us. So the church, not only a family called out of the world, assembled together in the world, the church of the living God. Acts chapter 14, it also talks about that. Men, why are you doing these things? The, the, the context of this is Paul is preaching at Lystra. You remember that? And, and he's doing healings, and the people come out, and they want to sacrifice. And he said, don't, don't do this. And so he says this, why are you doing these things? We also are men with like natures as you. We bring you good news that you should, watch this, turn away. He wasn't afraid to say it. Only two realities. There's the living God, and there are no gods. Turn away from these vain things to the living God. 
That's who he was announcing, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. He is the, the living God. I, I really think that Paul had reference. He'd spent a couple of years there at least. I really would not be surprised. Doesn't say it. But all they had to do, meeting together in whoever's house they were in, all they had to do was look out and up on the hill, see the temple of Artemis, Diana, Roman. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. There are some ruins there. 127 columns. But but does it make sense that Paul was saying to them, look, you know, see that big, massive structure, how beautiful and wonderful it is? It's the church of the dead God. You are the church meeting in this little house, not many in number. You are the church of the living God. Acts 19, you see and hear not only in Ephesus, here was their attitude, but in all Asia, Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people saying, that gods made with hands are not God. You imagine the offensiveness of that? And here's why we say that, again, just from my reading this last week in Deuteronomy, because the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp. Think of that right now. He's walking in the midst of your camp to deliver you and to give you up, give up your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. He is alive. He is the living God. And the living God is among us right now. I said something a minute ago. I'll just throw this in there. Church of the living God? No gods. There are only two religions in the world. I didn't originate this, but it's true. Romans 125, those who worship and serve either the creator of all or the creature whom God has created. That's what Paul was confronting. By the way, that's true of you today. You're either worshiping and serving that which is no God or the living God, the creator of all the world. Last point, the greatness. Does that sound odd, calling the church great? Well, it shouldn't sound odd, and it is true. The church of the living God is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now, that almost sounds backward, doesn't it? Think about it. Wait, the church is the pillar and the the buttress, the foundation of the truth? Isn't it the other way around? The answer is yes. The church is built on the foundation, this book, of the the apostles and the prophets. He says it there to the church at Ephesus. But what he says here in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy is also true. The church is the pillar. And and again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was thinking back to that great temple of Artemis with 127 pillars support the roof and this huge foundation between, beneath each of the pillars. And he said, look, you think that's something. You are the pillar 
You are the support, the foundation of the truth. You go to Ephesus today and you walk through the main town, but you've got to go away from the main ruins. And then there's the temple. A couple of columns remaining, deteriorated. Time has taken its toll. But guess what? The church of the living God has grown and spread throughout the entire world and is still the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And that is why, church, over and over, we've been, and we'll look at this in the next couple of weeks, in the last days, difficult times will come. And if we, now, again, bring this, bring your thoughts in. If you're thinking the church, universal, Paul is thinking the church local. Heritage. All of us assemble together, but your families. And as we come together, we are the pillar and the ground of truth. We may not be able to do much in terms of impacting other churches, even our own denomination, but One thing is for sure, we have the responsibility of being the pillar and the ground of truth until the Lord comes back. And who knows, maybe maybe even things would happen. A lot of fear in the world today, right? Fear of China taking over. Well, what if it does? We may not have this building, but the church at Heritage will keep on going. And so here's what we need to do. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary, Jude said, to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And let me again speak of priorities. Please, please hear this. I said a minute ago the priority of of the Word of God and living these things out as the church of the living God. You simply will not be able to do that unless there is a continuous intake of God's Word into your life. You cannot defend what you don't know. And so I'm smiling when I say this. Let me lovingly encourage you to take in the Word of God. Well, Pastor, I'm just so busy. Look, we're all busy. But we all have time to do the things that are priorities to us. And if you had a loved one who was ill, desperately ill, and you had something else that was a priority, I promise you, at least I hope this is true, that you would drop all of your other priorities to make it a priority to study and to research and to do everything you could to see that your loved one was healed. There are people all around us who are spiritually ill. and We need the constant intake of the Word of God, the prioritizing of that, so that we can be what God has intended us to be.
Here's the truth of salvation. Here's the truth of me teaching this word to you. And I, I, I always wonder, I, I just have this question, I've prepared the message. Uh, I always stand there, I, I do this all week long anyway, and wonder, is anybody going to hear the word today? And what difference is it going to make? And then sometimes I leave this place, I, I wonder the same thing. But here is the promise that we build our foundation on, okay? So shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return. This is God speaking to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. That, does that mean that if there are lost people in this room today that every one of you who are lost will be saved? Not necessarily, but God will accomplish His purpose through the preaching of the Word. Jesus told a parable. He said, a man went out to sow, and he sowed a seed. Same man, same seed. The difference was the condition of the soil. And he said, this is a picture of the human heart. The Word accomplished what it needed to. You know, the hearts that were hard, they didn't get any softer according to the parable. The hearts that were good soil took the Word in. It bore fruit. Basically, Jesus got to the end of that parable and he said this, this is an appeal for good hearing. He who has ears, let him hear. And so that's why all through the New Testament, Hebrews is one of those books. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Hear the word. Let it be received into good soil. If you know your heart's not good soil, ask the Lord to plow it up. That too is a gift of grace. Pray that the word would get in that it would bear fruit, the fruit of repentance, the fruit of belief in Jesus Christ as the only Savior and Lord that we'll be celebrating in just a few moments, and the fruit of a life growing in holiness, sanctification. And I pray that many of you will do that today. You do not know the Lord. For those of us who do, take great heart. We are the church of the living God in whom God is pleased to dwell. Father, I thank you that now as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, that there would be people in this audience today, in this congregation, I'm thinking of the ones who don't know you, who might have this thought, if I died tonight, where would I wake up? And that you would begin to do a work of plowing up, putting your word into hearts like that. Pray for those of us who know you that this is just a, a, a point along the path that we would continue to know how we ought to behave and that we would do it. That we would be gospeled people, live out of the power of our justification as it leads us to holiness 
rather than just a works religion of do. Father, we think of the Lord's Supper and the elements, and it reminds us that ours is a religion of done. And we celebrate what Jesus has done on our behalf. So, Father, now as we move into this section, I pray that you would help us to see once again that these symbols, these elements, should point to the Christ on the cross who gave his life as a ransom for many. And I thank you for that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.